Center is a regular weekly feature on 1290 CJBK when we bring together people from uh, various uh, points on the political compass, if you will. Sometimes we look at uh, strictly political issues, sometimes social issues. You never know quite what's going to happen. Uh, today, joining me on the program, Robert Metz and Marion Boyd. And nice Hi, Jim. Both of you back again. Uh, I'd like to uh, kind of pick your brains a little bit here on a, on a socio-political issue. I think we can call it that. It's the story of the English granny, whose name escapes me now, but it doesn't matter. The English granny who's been revealed to be a Soviet super spy back in the 1950s. And in fact, um, not to exaggerate, according to the reports that are coming out of Great Britain with the release of, uh, of uh, some memoirs based on a lot of documentation that was brought out of the Soviet Union, this woman was instrumental in the Soviets developing a major nuclear weapons capability years earlier than they might otherwise have done and thereby upsetting the balance of power etc 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 in the grand scheme of things had they caught her at the time uh, a capital crime they didn't catch her at the time she's now 87 and loves to play with her petunias in the garden and the British government has said basically that they're not going to prosecute her um, there has been some talk of statute of limitations, although I understand that that may is a technicality that they might be able to get around if they chose to do so. Uh, but they are choosing not to do so. I made some comments yesterday on this program that as lovely and, and uh, charming an, uh, uh, an elderly lady as she might, an old lady, come on, she's not, I don't mean anything nasty by it, she's an old lady, she's an old granny working in the garden, as charming as she may be that I think in the interests of sending a message to everyone that we should take responsibility for our actions, that she should be prosecuted. Well, did I get a phone call yesterday afternoon from a woman who went up one side of me and down the other and left no stone unturned on the way, who thought it was just the most terrible thing for me to suggest this. It, she was a, She's an old lady. It's too late now. Whatever she did was in the past, and it really didn't matter, and the British government was right, and what kind of fool was I? And she asked me if I would raise this today with my guests, particularly with Marion. Um, I think she sensed that you're a kindred spirit, or at least she thinks, she, she thinks you're a kindred spirit. And she wondered if I would raise this today on left, right, and center. And I said, well, it's not exactly the kind of topic that we normally do, but I'd be pleased to do that and raise it with my guests from the following premise. My premise is in this whole thing, or my belief is that you can't duck responsibility with the passage of years. Uh, particularly something like this. Uh, this was a contribution to a regime that has now been exposed to have been one of the most heinous in human history. Tens of millions of their own people slaughtered at the political whims of the masters of this country, and she delivered to those self-same masters a technology capable of destroying the world. I don't think that she should be able to walk from that. Robert, what do you think? I, you know, she, you say she's what, 87, 87 years old or something like that. You know, I can see, I can see some of the logistic problems with with prosecuting a case like this because even the time it might take to prosecute, and it could be dragged on for 10 years. Things like this can, uh, the whole thing might be moot because she, you know, she's at the end of her life. She's got a very short lifespan left. I don't know what on what grounds the British uh, government uh, didn't want to prosecute. D do you have that information? Well, Was that because of her age or because of her freedom of belief? Or? Because of her age, and she's uh, she's this uh, charming little granny, and they didn't want to be seen. I assume uh, they didn't want to fit photographs of her being shackled and led away to be on the front page of the well, British and, newspapers. And the Cold War is over. 
that would, was the other mm -hmm. aspect and, that and, we and, talked about. You know, and certainly if she had been caught at the time in the 50s and, and whenever else some of this was going on, the, the penalties would have been extremely severe. Um, but after the passage of time, are, are her actions still relevant? I mean, you can talk about the balance of power with the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union never really had the power that we assumed it had. It had a great military strength, but didn't have the economic engine to drive it all. And eventually that engine just broke down. And, uh, but, but yes, I mean, she should be held accountable, but what's the point now? What process do we have to make it count for something? Like, if you want to call it, hold her responsible, what would you have her do? Sit in jail for the next three or four years, and Maybe. or, or uh, if that, if the pay somebody if, back, if or the courts deem that appropriate. Yes, perhaps. Well, so far the courts, at least in England, have deemed it's not even worth their time because I guess they feel it's a moot point at this point. Um, does the crime still have to be, the effects of a crime still have to be relevant to something at the time of the prosecution, even though uh, you know we didn't know about her doing this in the 50s and whenever else, and so. Uh, when it wasn't in anyone's knowledge or sphere of knowledge, there, n nobody knew th knew any better one way or the other. Well, there was there's another argument here that has been made, um, and and that is that the regime the regime that she thus supported, even though the information itself may have not have been a practical value. I mean, they didn't use the technology to go to war. That the very fact that she supported this incredibly repressive and destructive regime, that that she should be held accountable for well, that. She should at the very least. Be, uh, be, f be forced to face up to the reality. She still sings the praises of this regime. Yeah, I have to assume that she was willing at all times to pay the price for what she was doing. She obviously uh, felt strongly about what she was doing, and at certain times, you know, the price is going to be pretty high if you get caught. Um, I just think that maybe what has happened between the time of her committing these crimes and today is that the price of the has dropped, so to speak, and uh, the courts don't want to put their money into a case that they're not going to get their value back out of, if you want to put it in that way. Marion, what do you think about it? Well, the, the, uh, the Crown always has to make a determination about the probability of, of conviction in any case that it pursues under any jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And if there's no probability of conviction, then the decision normally would be that you wouldn't pursue it. Um, and, and, and if that's the reason, if, if for, for one reason or another they think there's no probability of conviction, they may have made the right choice. I'd, I'd like to ask another question. I mean, most of us in, in North America uh, are, are very anxious that war crimes be pursued, uh, including war crimes uh, committed uh, over 50 years ago by people who are now in their 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Canada, it, it, I think for many of us, has been a, a shameful history of our lack of willingness to pursue those who uh, killed uh, uh, people under the, the Nazi regime. And uh, the whole issue of an extension of our criminal code to cover these things to enable us to mm -hmm. uh, evade the, the statute of limitations, which is, is exactly the issue that uh, they've cited, uh, has, has met with um, uh, approval by most people, by a majority of people mm -hmm. uh, in North America. So it's, a, it's a quite a complex question um, in, in terms of, of where you go. We haven't been very successful in prosecuting Nazi war criminals. Mm -hmm. uh, we, haven't, we haven't obtained convictions in many cases. Uh, in some cases we have. 
Um, but we have where there's been sufficient evidence. So hasn't the problem really right. been the evidence has been in question? Even though in some that's cases right. there was a great deal of it, it's been questioned. That's right. I mean, the issue shouldn't be, I mean, if, if, if someone is held responsible by the courts, the court then makes a decision in sentencing as to whether there are mitigating circumstances. And mitigating circumstances very often are the age and the frailty of the person. Mm -hmm. And a sentence can be served in the community under those circumstances or in a health facility. We have many cases here in Canada, uh, I think particularly of, of retrospective child sexual assault. We were talking about this mm -hmm. uh, the last time we were all here, uh, where the perpetrator is only brought to justice when he is quite elderly. And the argument has often been made, oh, you shouldn't be pursuing this, it's all over. But of course, it isn't all over for the victim. Mm -hmm. But it isn't all over for the victims of her perfidy either is it well i think i think we could have a real argument there i mean we're, we're well, not, let's have one that's why we're here we're no longer we're no longer in a situation where we're uh, in a race uh, around atomic power mm -hmm. uh with uh the soviet union as it was the whole cold war um has 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 changed quite dramatically now the results of that cold war and the information that's in the hands of other nations who weren't involved in the Cold War in the first place continues to be a danger to us. Mm -hmm. And what part she may have played in, in that would be hard to say. I mean, all of us are concerned that there are nuclear weapons in some of the newly broken away uh, states that used to be part of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could be argued that the concerns about um, Uzbekistan, for example, possibly using nuclear uh, warheads uh, could could stretch back to the information this woman gave. I think from the British government's point of view, though, I'll, I'll bet you anything, one of the reasons they don't want to prosecute this is they don't want an examination of their security and their intelligence uh, during that period of time. Mm -hmm. How could this person, over that lengthy period of time, be regularly feeding uh, secrets and nobody... Ever yeah, suspecting. Open up a whole can of worms. Opens there. up a whole can of worms. But what kind a, of surveillance? But isn't that was exactly what kind the, of screening? That's the was kind there? of can of worms that should be. Wouldn't you think that the British government today, which was not in power then, by the way, wouldn't you think they'd want to know? Well, th that's what puzzles me. I mean, you know, I don't think. I probably it makes sense, even if she were found guilty of these crimes, to sentence her to a jail at that age. I mean, that would just have public outrage. And if people thought that were going to happen, they probably on a jury might very well acquit. We see that happening with older criminals mm -hmm. frequently. Uh, but to, to try and come to a deal where she actually publicly admits responsibility, uh, is, uh, conviction is registered and there's, a, there's a, a deal around the sentence being served in the community and she's watched so that she can't continue this behavior. We have no idea whether she has information or connections you know, that could continue this behavior. Another thing I was thinking of too is I'm sure that the information she she sold or gave to the Soviets is certainly stale dated by now. Mm -hmm. And that probably you could find most of that technological information down at the London Public Library. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of, a, of an old episode of Barney Miller where this guy walks in on them and he's built this little nuclear device. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't have the plutonium to charge it though, but uh, there he was. He built it from out of a textbook that he saw in the, in the London or in the library right. there, so I'm thinking uh, maybe that's part of the reasoning here is that this information, uh, y information is so fleeting, and and today especially we live in an information age with the internet and stuff like that, and we're already hearing similar cases about people um, giving out information on the internet um, could be 
corporate secrets, mm-hmm. could be state secrets. Um, I don't know the name of the gentleman, the fellow who invented that encryption code that uh, mm-hmm. the U.S. government was after him for, but now he made it public property. Everybody's, everybody has this encryption code, and it uh, basically prevents the government from, from just haphazardly getting into your email and things like that. Um, did he do harm or did he do good? I mean, these are all value judgments, aren't they? And, and I have to sort of ask myself, what's more dangerous, exporting technological information to some, somebody like the Soviet Union or, or importing Marxist ideology and spreading <laughs> it locally, you know? Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's another element to this that was raised on an interview program I saw on the weekend, and, and somebody was raising the issue of... of, of uh, Judge not, lest ye be judged. The idea that this woman is probably not too far from her final days, and if there is to be a judgment on the other side, um, and this particular person believed there was, uh, her contention was that, you know, leave it up to God. He's obviously allowed her to survive this long. Uh, She's not been caught to this point. She's 87 years old. She's lived a rich, full life. Let God judge her when she goes over to the other side. And, and how would that sound to people if it were uh, Himmler or... Uh, well, and that's what I wanted to ask you. Or that, if she was guilty of murder. But that, or, that same argument has been used in, with reference, for example, to Nazi war crimes trials in this very country. People have said, see, some of these guys are in their 70s and 80s, and what's the point now? I mean, let, you know, God will take care of them. Uh, is there any merit in that idea? I mean, is, 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 I, one assumes you've got to believe in God to, to think that it makes a lot of sense, but this has been put forward that, as a legal defense and, in fact, has been part of the defense of some of these cases. If, if we're people of faith, we, we believe that of all of us. And, uh, I mean, if, if people of faith have different conceptions of what kind of judgment might occur. And, uh, you know, if, 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 you, if you have that kind of faith, you, you assume that the judgment will be, a, will be just and will, will fit the crime and that the crimes that we as human beings may name as, as criminal activities may not be the crimes that get mm-hmm. the worst judgment mm-hmm. uh, at the last day mm-hmm. if, if you have that kind of belief. But that's beyond our control. What, what I believe personally, and, and, and I am a person of faith, is that we were given all the tools to try and run a compassionate, caring society that made rules to enable us all to enjoy the gifts that God gave us. And that one of the reasons we have governments, one of the reasons we have criminal uh, codes, one of the reasons we... Uh, pursue a a policy that we will not, as a collective, um, allow someone to destroy the common interests that we have as as the collective. And we, we, our our whole criminal justice system is based on the fact that we prosecute as the Crown, as the state, Mm -hmm. when this happens. Not an individual person who's a victim, but in every crime, the entire community is a victim. And in every single case, um, the the action that's taken by the police and the Crown is on behalf of the community, not on behalf of a particular vindictive victim. Mm. Well, if, you, if you believe that sort of thing, then m- making a judgment um, based on, on, on somebody's age and, and frailty as opposed to the strength of the case you can bring, mm-hmm. I think is a mistake. If, if, if in fact what the prosecutors are saying in Britain we have no reasonable probability of, of conviction here. Uh, there's a groundswell of support for this woman. We would have trouble finding a jury that would do it. 
uh, the all of as as Robert suggests, all of the information is completely stale dated. Uh, we're not likely to get a conviction if that's the decision. We might disagree with it, but it's not nearly as disturbing as a preferential treatment because of age and frailty, particularly if it's a very serious crime. How do we explain this to our kids? If the kids are following on a television, which kids do, and say, Daddy, what's, what's the story here? I'm, I saw this lady on here, and they say she did very terrible things. And, and uh, if they'd caught her, they, they, they might even have, have hung her then, but now they've caught her now, and nothing's going to happen to her. Uh, you know, the terrible thing she did was retain her British citizenship. If she had been a Soviet citizen, this would have been great stuff, and she'd mm -hmm. be a hero in the Soviet Union, and they'd be not put, thinking about putting her in jail. Mm -hmm. So the issue is not uh, the, quote, crime per se, but the, the supposed allegiance she had at the time and, and the deception and the fraud that's involved with that crime. Um, you, know, you use the term war crimes. I almost think that's an oxymoron. I think war is a crime, and that... The, the morality or the, the the weight of the morality of a war falls on the country that starts it and that uh, that everyone who's within that country shares some of that responsibility for having created the situation that led to the war in the first mm -hmm. place so what we're doing with war crimes is picking and choosing the worst perpetrators of the of the ultimate consequence of what everybody in the in the country supported whether willingly or not no, well, what can you do with war crimes? You know, in a war, all rights are suspended. All of your freedoms are suspended. We have a War Measures Act here in Canada where Canada can do the same thing. And we and don't even have done. And, has done, and without, without a real war at stake. Mm -hmm. So as soon as that happens, the basis of our morality disappears. There are. It's, it's emergency ethics all the way. It's you or me. Well, but it doesn't uh, mean it, that you don't, uh, you don't prosecute... Uh, the FLQ, for example, mm -hmm. uh, for the specific crimes that they committed during that period of time, surely. But if you're going to talk about war crimes, though, and, and I don't want to open a can of worms here, but I think we've got to talk about it. There was a lot of concern at the end of the Second World War, and more so since then, um, the prosecution of the Nazis and the, the Nazi leaders and so on that were brought to trial, and there didn't seem to be much argument anywhere in the Western world that they should not at least have been brought to trial. The perception was they got a fair trial. They, they were subject to the usual rules of evidence and so on, and a number of them were convicted. Some of them paid with their lives, and some of them paid with long years in prison. But the argument had been made, too, at, uh, since then, by people about, for example, the people who gave the orders for the bombing of Dresden, non-military target, mm -hmm. and Cologne for the, the same, non-military targets for the most part, where they knew going in that what they were going to do was kill tens of thousands and ultimately hundreds of thousands of civilians in the name of some ill-thought-out uh, campaign to destroy morale, which they, had, they knew from experience in Britain didn't work. They did it anyway. So the argument about war crimes becomes very convoluted because who draws the line? And so the victor, the determ the yeah. vi the vi the victor determines uh, who's guilty and who's not guilty. But that opens up a larger question then. Are there any absolutes? I mean, is it possible to say that this woman committed a crime at all? You could almost say, as you said, Robert, the only, the only real problem was she retained her, her citizenship. She could make a claim that there, I, there's a higher allegiance than even my citizenship, and I shouldn't be held accountable or responsible because I felt I was doing something for the good of mankind. Well, and the way she describes it, you know, she talks about uh, the need to balance out given, if you can think back to, to Cold War terms, to, to balance out the capacity between the two because that's the best way to prevent war. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a bit of an argument there mm -hmm. uh, that certainly the uh, those who were doing the work in the United States used the same argument 
but it was necessary to escalate their mm -hmm. efforts and to escalate the capacity of their arms and all the talk about Star Wars not that long ago was all so that you could balance out and you could protect everybody from war happening. So the whole ethos of Cold War really was making sure that both sides were balanced and it was a I think that I think the terminology is a Mexican standoff, mm -hmm. and 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 her claim that in fact that's what she was trying to do, that she was appalled at what she saw, uh, being the capacity only. But, but of, I think of the, the deeper issue is that she was supporting an evil country, and the Soviet Union's philosophy was evil, its government was evil, its methods were evil. Um, it, it was a society based on force, whereas the United States is a society purportedly based on consent. And that make, that's the big difference between the two. And if you're going to judge anything on a moral basis, you have to get to that level. You can't just say that every country has a right to have some equal level of power, regardless of what that country believes and the philosophy it practices and how it tortures its citizens, you know? Well, please don't get me um, wrong. I wasn't suggesting no, no, that I bought her argument. I'm just saying that if, if, you, if you want to talk about the issue of Dresden versus the Battle of Britain, if you want to talk about the, 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 those, those kinds of issues, and that's exactly why Nuremberg didn't deal with the Battle of Britain mm. issues. It was dealing with a specific uh, policy to terminate and to eliminate a whole population, mm -hmm. genocide. It, it didn't involve itself with those other issues. It talked about the, the explicit plans of the Nazis to eliminate the Jews, the gypsies, gay people and mental defectives mm -hmm. and and of course the christians that tried to 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 work on behalf of the others i mean there, there were a whole group of people and that was the specific focus of it we're going to pause for a moment this is left right and center on 1290 cjbk if you'd like to join the conversation you're more than welcome 643 1290 star 1290 is the toll-free call on the cantel cellular and our email is live in the studio jchapman at imessaging.com Net. Jay Chapman at iMessaging.net will return with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz on 1290 CJBK right after this. This is Left, Right, and Center, a regular weekly feature here on 1290 CJBK. Marion Boyd is with us along with Bob Metz, and uh, we welcome Catherine to the discussion. Hi, Catherine. Yes, good morning. Would the solution to the problem regarding Mrs. Norwood be to send her back to the Soviet Union? You know, and everybody would have no problem about uh, convicting her or you know any other thing like that there was a there was a news story yesterday or the day before that some high-ranking soviet official had acknowledged uh, the role she'd played and had had lauded her and said she was a she was certainly a hero for humanity i think was the phrase that was used uh, let me ask my guest do you think that the, uprooting her from her comfortable english country existence and and sending her to the soviet union although i don't believe they could legally do that but if they could W would that be any kind of reasonable punishment? You, you know, that question crossed my mind earlier in the show, that if, if she likes the values of the Soviet Union so much, why wasn't she living there? But then, of course, you can't be a spy <laughs> and be effective being at home. Could have gone when uh, she retired. Uh, true. And maybe that speaks to some level of hypocrisy on her part. Who knows? Um, but I think if you look at life in the Soviet Union and life in Britain or, or North America, you're, the differences are obvious. Yes, even today. Well, I mean, the Soviet Union, as it existed when she was spying for them, doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, but you wouldn't want to live in Russia today either, which, which, is, which, is a, which is a big problem. Yeah. 
uh, legally, you're quite right. Uh, I mean, she has British citizenship. Uh, she, when we deport somebody, we deport them to their land of birth. Mm. We don't deport them to a land that they've never... That's, that's, in fact, mm. uh, one of the, the issues around the, the kind of deportations that happened during the war of, of people that Hitler didn't like. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we have to be really careful about that. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, when we look at the number of spies... Uh, a number of American, high-level American spies, in fact, did do that. They left America and went to the mm -hmm. Soviet Union, and 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 you know, uh, you know, lived lived according to their values. I I, I don't know enough about this woman to know, uh, you know, why that wasn't an option for her. She must have retired at least mm -hmm. uh, 22 years ago. Yes, because in Britain, you know, retirement yeah. age is very clearly observed mm -hmm. and uh so it's a, it's a good question why she didn't go i i don't have no idea why she didn't Catherine, do you if, if she did if she wouldn't want to go is there what else do you think that they should or might do to her or should they do anything well oh i have no idea but i did see her on television yeah. and she didn't look like a frail creature she didn't eh no she didn't uh mm -hmm. So, anyways... Well, thank uh, you. Thank you for your thoughts, Catherine. Yeah. It's good to hear from you. You Bye. take care now. Bye-bye. 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. Which brings up another, because this is how, what this show does, is hop from thing to thing, thing, place to place. Why can't we deport somebody? I mean, well, should citizenship be an absolute? If you have so offended the sensibilities of your fellow citizens and the mores of the society in which you live... Well, if you're going to deport someone to a country from which they did not come... What do you, what, what, you're not giving that country any right to say who's, who's going to be shoved at them. Well, you maybe just, just say we don't care where you go, but get out of here. Uh, well, well, even there, they got that's, across that's some border. That's, in fact, what happened to the Jews in 1939. Mm. And one of our more shameful chapters is the fact that ships were turned away from yeah. North America, a ship from Canada, mm -hmm. sending them who knew where, and no one cared at a time when they were, they were uh, in, in, in very difficult straits. I don't think that's a solution at all. We'd simply, instead of instead of sending bombs back and forth, we'd be sending people back and forth. And, and well, it worked for Fidel Castro with the Marielitos, didn't it? I mean, he sent what forty thousand disaffected Cubans and criminals and dumped them in the United States. It worked pretty effectively from his point of view. Uh, of course, all those people wanted to go to the United States to get away from Fidel as well. well. Some of them, I'm not sure all of them did, but some of them certainly did. This is uh, left, right, and center with Marion Boyd and Bob Matt six four three twelve ninety star. 1290 on the Cantel. One of you, and I can't remember which one, I apologize for that, alluded earlier to uh, crimes in the past relative to, to, to sexual improprieties and the fact that these crimes often are not revealed until 10, 20, 30 years sometimes later. The argument has been made there too, sometimes in the courtroom, sometimes just in the courtroom public opinion, that um, in situations where the perpetrators are... are uh, uh, not repentant, that obviously we pr proceed with the full weight of the law against them, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts. But if they are repentant, the law it has the ability to take that into account, but I'm not sure that it does all that often. Well, look at Bishop O'Connor. Sure it does. Yeah, but he's a bishop. If he were just, you know, Bill O'Connor, would, would he have received the same treatment? Uh, I think so, and I've seen it happen here, where people are are ill, they're older, and uh, the court takes that into account as a mitigating circumstance at sentence, not in terms of conviction, right. but at sentence. And that's, that's the thing that people forget. Um, 
having having a conviction is our assigning responsibility for a crime mm-hmm. through the courts. The judge makes a decision about the appropriate sentence based on the facts that are presented to the case, uh, to, to the court, and one of those would be the mitigating circumstance of illness or of, of um, age or What's his name? Is it Stupich, this guy that was just convicted? This Yeah. Yeah, former cabinet minister? Yeah. 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 But he's very ill. And he's they... very ill. He's got Alzheimer's. I mean, frankly, nobody wants him in a jail. Certainly the jailers don't because they wouldn't be able to give him the appropriate care. Mm. The liability would be very high. This is Talk of the Town, and Joe's waiting to join us. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi there. I wanted to speak to Marion. Mm-hmm. Um, she made a comment about the Jews being turned away to goodness knows where. Uh, actually, we know where they were turned away. They went back to Germany where most of them were put to death. That's true, and we know that now. At the time, if you read the historical accounts of of our cabinet ministers. Um, they were just basically saying we weren't prepared to take them and they should go elsewhere. Yeah. And the elsewhere wasn't wasn't defined at all. So you're quite right. We know now in retrospect exactly what happened to them, to our shame. Did we ever make an official apology to them for that? That's a good question. Um, certainly, I think the um, Canadian Congress of, of Christians and Jews issued a, a joint statement many years ago talking about the mutual responsibilities uh, 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 among those who were uh, responsible for turning uh, Jews away from the, from from safe countries. But I, I really don't know whether a direct apology was ever made. Yeah, because we were the last resort. Every other country had also turned them away. Had also turned them away, yeah. exactly. Right. Yep. Well, thank you Thanks for bringing for the, it up. Because, thank you, Joe. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate your call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Right. We should say, though, in, in defense of the Canadian government at the time, that their actions were supported by a large number of Canadians. I mean, the, the, I've talked to my parents about this, and, uh, and I've certainly done a lot of reading about it as well. And the, the, the government was not acting in the face of a over, against an overwhelming public outcry to say, no, let them come in, let them come in, let them come in. There was, whether we like it or not, a fairly healthy strain of anti-Semitism in this country at that time. And, and the government, yeah, the government did not act in isolation in, in turning them away. There were lots of people who thought that was exactly what should have happened. We should have turned them away. Why do we want more of those Jews here? Yeah, you, you know, again, we have to draw a line and be very careful when we start accepting more guilt for it than the country that was exterminating the Jews, mm-hmm. because that's really where I, the I'm source not, I'm not of the problem. That, no, the only point I was, was trying to make was that by, I, we, I want to make clear that people who may not be familiar with this that this isn't a situation where you point at the government and say, oh, what a naughty government they were. It was a government that, by and large, reflected the mood of the nation on that oh, issue. Oh, absolutely, sure. Yeah. And part of that was because a real lack of knowledge. There hadn't been very much uh, explicit uh, information given to the general public about what, frankly, the officials knew very well was already happening in, in, in Germany. It had been happening to a more... I think that would more, have changed things. I think it would have, too. I mean, we, we have to remember that, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and And for sure at the time, the extensive knowledge that we now have just wasn't available to people making decisions or the general population who supported those decisions. I remember, uh, again, with reference to my parents, talking to my dad, who was a veteran, and asking him, uh, and I don't remember how old I was, maybe a, a very young teenager, and talking about it, and asking him about uh, 
what drove the guys that he what drove them to fight he had to go up in this plane day after he didn't like flying he went up day after day after day in this bomber and and i guess in my naivete i i, I associate that something he was trying to stamp out the horror of nazism and and save the jews in the camps and so on he said we didn't know any of that at all he yeah. said i didn't know anything until after they the war no that that idea. Was going on. they just believed that they would be overrun oh. in their society as they knew it would be destroyed let's go back to the phones where ian is waiting to join us hi ian how are you doing? Fine, thank you. What hasn't been raised today is the, the gender issue. Mm-hmm. If this person had been mad, I think they would have prosecuted. Now, most of your Nazi war criminals are, were males. Mm-hmm. And we're still going after them, but mm-hmm. she's a nice little old lady that somebody looks like somebody's grandma. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even good, here good in Canada point. and in Britain, you know yourself, I took this in first-year sociology at Western... Uh, uh, the sentences for females are one half of what a what a, a males are mm-hmm. for this exam- identical crime. So mm-hmm. I think in this particular case that that's a factor too. I don't think that's been raised by your guest. No, that's a very interesting no, point. It's a very interesting point, and and certainly the kind of the kind of uh, vehemence of the of the uh, public concern is is great. I mean, certainly we have executed uh, women who who did espionage exactly as this woman did and then in and in history uh that certainly is it has happened but uh i think uh, i i think the caller is quite right that uh, there certainly is evidence uh that the courts tend to be more merciful uh probably based on some of the stereotypes that uh, we try to stamp out in other ways yes ian thank you for your call today thanks a lot appreciate it bye 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 with the uh, kind indulgence of my guests, I do want to make an announcement that I should have made earlier today, but it's for a good cause, and I'm sure they won't mind. Uh, this Monday, coming up at Sunningdale Golf uh, uh, Golf Club, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is hosting its first annual golf-a-thon, and it involves going to be quite a day. It involves 100 go- holes of golf. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my reaction. But, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a ton of fun. There's breakfast, lunch, and dinner provided. There's, there, of course, every, the golf, golf carts for everybody. You don't want to walk that. There will be um, uh, massages uh, available for you from trained uh, professionals. Um, it's going to be a wonderful day out there. We're working hard to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I'll be out there golfing along with a number of my media friends, although we won't all be able to do the 100 holes because of when we're working during the day. But we'll be out there. Uh, there'll be the, uh, the dinner in the evening, and I'll be the host of that. We're going to have a lot of fun. But they're short golfers. They had the, the whole thing, I understand, was subscribed, and some people at the last minute have had other mm-hmm. things pop up. So uh, there are there are some uh, spots available, and I'd like to urge you to join us. Here's the telephone number, 652-9500, 652-9500, if you want to join us on Monday. It is, honest. it's going to be a ton of fun, be a lot of laughs. Uh, the dinner in the evening is going to be some fun enough, some entertainment things for you there, um, just a whole lot of stuff. And you are really working for a wonderful organization, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So if you want to join us and be part of that, I'd take it as a personal favor if you'd, uh, if you'd consider joining us on Monday. And I'll give you that number again. It's 652-9500, 652-9500. Maybe we can even get Marion to come out. And... <laughs> I'm such a golfer. We'll be back in just a second. Stay with us. This is Talk of the Town. It's left, right, and center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. And we do have uh, an email here from Graham wanted to add to our discussion. He says, Jim, as far as the aged spy in Britain goes, I think that for the British government, this is a no-win situation. Deport an aged lady for spying and have the country mad at you or do nothing, and other spies from that time will feel that they can win by just staying quiet. 
Interesting idea. We're talking this morning, if you're just joining us, about the elderly lady whose name keeps escaping me. 87. Mrs. Norwood. Mrs. Norwood, is that it? She has an interesting first name, doesn't she? I can't remember her anyway, first name. Anyway, Mrs. Norwood, um, who has been caught out, if you will, if not caught at being a spy. And we've been talking about some of the implications of that and a variety of other things as well relative to that. But we, we started to talk about this, the issue of, uh, of the uh, remorse and so on with, with uh, the sexual offenders and, and what role that plays. And Marion made the point that that certainly, and we hope that's taken into account properly. There are some people, though, who say, and have said on this program when we've done open phones about it in those kind of cases, when someone comes forward 20, 30 years later, almost, uh, well, not exclusively, but often a woman, although actually, no, probably actually, a lot of men, too, maybe more men, now that I think about it, uh, and make these claims that are very difficult to prove, very difficult to validate, and yet we still see people getting convicted uh, like this. And I remember we had a call one day, and it was a woman who phoned and would, said, you know, why are we doing this? Why, why are we hounding these people 20, 30 years after the fact? Revenge. Well, is, that, is that all it is? Um, well, it's not going to change the past. It's not, if, if the behavior of the person has changed since then, it's not going to make them a different person. Um, you know, maybe we're talking about the sta any, any form of statute of limitations, or are we just thinking about throwing that out the window altogether, and then you have to worry about every little thing that you did in your life that somebody could bring back up on you 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, things that might, may or may not have been in your control, especially like in a war situation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people who did what they did in wars did it under orders, did it under the way the country was run. They maybe never gave it a second Nuremberg, thought. Nuremberg established That's in international right. law that uh, befell ist befell, orders yeah. are orders, is no defense. Um, morally, that's certainly true. But in the sense of our going, then what do you do? Do you prosecute a whole nation? Like, where do you stop? Where do you, where do you draw the line? Well, we're, doing, the we're, doing we're doing that in Iraq. We're prosecuting um, a whole, with the embargo in Iraq, we're prosecuting a whole nation. Well, an embargo is a little different. Um, well, people are, dying, about, people are dying. The children and, and the vulnerable are dying in Iraq just as surely as if we were dropping bombs on them. But I think, if we, I think we need to, to sort of unpack the statement from your, your caller, because... I mean, she probably was talking about the the numerous cases that arose out of the Mount Cashel orphanage, out of St. John's and St. Joseph's. Tell you the truth, I don't remember the context. Here, I recall you might well be right. Uh, where, in fact, people, children were institutionalized. They were under the care of the state, and they became the victims of people who, in many cases, uh, there was no indication that they ever had admitted that what they did was wrong. And, in fact, they were in positions of power, in positions of trust, continued to interact with children even into their 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. and, and so the real issue, I, I don't think, is a, is a question of revenge. Um, uh, in, with all due respect, Robert, well, I think it's a question of accepting responsibility and, and stopping the danger factor. Many of the men exactly, who were convicted... Exactly, but what if it had been stopped 50 years ago? That's the question. Do we still go after it? If it was all over back in 1950... Um, if most of the people, you know, there's also this thing that you hear a lot about, what is it called, the false memory syndrome, mm -hmm. and uh, I hear arguments on both sides of this issue. I really don't know what to believe, but, you know, some people apparently can remember things that didn't happen. And, and we have to be very careful that, in fact, in each, in each particular case, you look at exactly what has happened. But uh, I certainly come down very clearly on the, the side of 
of recovered memories in traumatic experiences being important things to take into account, they may not be enough to cause a court to determine beyond a reasonable doubt. No, there should be a that there evidence. was a crime and b that that person committed the crime. I mean, I think that's that's very important. But the reality is that we now have a lot of examples where 20 and 30 years after the fact, we have people who were traumatized by actions in institutional abuse and some of the ritual abuse situations that happened down in Prescott that we now mm -hmm. have a very clear uh, uh, record of in situations like the situation we were talking about last year, where those victims continue to suffer, uh, continue to, to have the effect that having the recognition that in fact they were not to blame for their own uh, abuse and, and, and that, that there is an explanation for the problems they have setting boundaries and dealing with that, that that is uh, essential to their recovery. So it's not just a question of revenge. It's a question of making sure that those who are victimized are not further victimized by believing all their lives that they caused the trauma that they had. Let's go back to the phones where Paul's waiting to join us. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Okay, listen, I have a, an opinion on this. Um, if you were today to be a criminal and your friends got caught because you ratted on them, mm -hmm. you got sent to prison, mm -hmm. they take care of you. I don't know the whole story on this lady, but it sounds to me like she sold out a country. Mm, yeah, well, no, there's no question she did. Okay. Well, my father fought in the Second World War, mm -hmm. and a lot of other men did, too. But the fought and on, her fought... actions no, could have caused their death. No, no, your father fought on the same side as the country that she sold secrets to. Your father fought as an ally of the Soviet Union in the Second World War. Well, okay, but uh, what I'm saying is, regardless of age, you've got to take care of the consequences. I mean, if I do something today, I mean, are you going to take pity on me but in what, court? But what's an appropriate, I guess, let, let's go beyond that. What is the appropriate punishment? Because I agree with you. I think they need to find some, there has to be some expiation for her sins here. How well, they do that, I, I don't know. Well, I guess you can't stick her in a prison. That doesn't seem to accomplish much. No, it won't accomplish much. But I guess you can put her in. I mean, there are um, lockup lockups in nursing homes mm -hmm. or hospitals. So, so you would still deprive so her she, of her liberty. She, then. She's kept away from the outside world, mm -hmm. and that's what I think should be done. Mm -hmm. Deprive her of the benefits of the society that she essentially repudiated. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. And yet she does say, and Marion, you alluded to it earlier, that she doesn't necessarily repudiate British society. I, you know, she, she wasn't saying it was necessarily wrong. She simply wanted to balance the two sides. Yeah, that's what she says. I mean, there's, there's very little evidence, at least in what I've seen, that she benefited very much from this crime. Um, in many cases of espionage, I mean, people make huge sums of money mm -hmm. and they sock it away and then they run away to a jurisdiction from which they cannot be extradited mm -hmm. and enjoy a wonderful life. Clearly that's does not appear to be the case here. Uh, didn't seem to be too much that was luxurious about her, her lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it may well be a... Maybe, it may Doesn't well that be make one her of those... more dangerous then? Like the true believer, I always thought, was a lot more dangerous than the person who could be bought out at the higher price. Mm -hmm. I mean, that person's going to go either way, depending where the money flows. Um, the true believer is going to stick to that cause, and I don't know that that motivation makes any difference to the essential nature of the crime. But is she in a position to have any effect on anything, and has she been for the last 20 years, which is the other thing that 
well, we don't crowns, know that. The Crown has That's, to take into yeah. account: can the person continue the crime or commit another crime? In in terms of 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 how essential it is to pursue an issue, and you know, I I I mean, part of their decision making probably is she has no more position with anyone who has any knowledge or or interest. She's been completely exposed, so no one's going to tell her anything anyway. Um, I mean, that's probably part of the argument. I'm, I'm not saying that I think she shouldn't face the music. I mean, I th think mm -hmm. she should, and I think the court should determine an appropriate punishment. But I'm, ju I'm just trying to say why they may have made this decision from a legal point of view. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd with us, and we'll be back to wrap it up right after this. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd have been our guests on this edition of uh, Left, Right, and Center. I don't know if we, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll offer you, Marion, a closing word, closing thought on this? or I think it's really good that people are interested in talking about these issues. I mean, it really is the, the, the uh, an ethical conundrum and, a, and an issue around thinking about how we really perceive law and order issues. I think the more we talk about that, the uh, better it is for us to really, really recognize that you know, we make the rules through our democratic process, and we, we need to be thinking about these issues and, and telling those who govern us what we think needs to, needs to happen to give us a sense that justice is done. Robert? Um, yeah, the one thing I would want to avoid on this is to not judge. Um, like earlier on, we were talking about, you know, judge not lest ye be judged in a case like this. Um, that certainly doesn't guarantee when you judge that you make the correct judgment mm -hmm. and that you're right all the time. But I think the statement does not mean that you should not judge. On the contrary, I think it means that we should be judges all the time. But when we do judge, that we have to be prepared to be judged ourselves. Um, to me, that's what this show is all about in a lot of ways. Exactly. We come on here, we make our points of view, and we can't just say, well, I don't have to listen to you, and you, 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 you can't argue with me type mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, the whole thing that makes it work is opening yourself to that challenge, and, and, and in that case, that's what I think the term means. We, we should definitely have to make judgments here, whether we agree with it or not. I certainly agree with Marion that this woman should, quote, face the music, but what's appropriate, boy, that's a, that's a real can of worms. Well, thanks to both of you. I, I share the sentiments that both my guests have expressed, and uh, we didn't resolve anything, but then again, uh, that's not always what it's about. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Thank Bob. you. Uh, folks, we'll see you tonight at the uh, Western Fair, and I'm, I have to make a correction. Uh, Bob Polhill will not be here for Ask the Experts today. It's Chris Cahill and Rob Sinner from Financial Strategies Group, but Bud will be at the Western Fair with us tonight from 7 to 9, and Chris and uh, Rob will be at the fair on Saturday from 7 to 9. So my thanks to Marion and Bob. Uh, a reminder, here's the telephone number again for the Make-A-Wish Foundation Golf Tournament. It's 652-9500. It's on Monday, and I really, really would appreciate you getting involved. We want to fill that tournament right up. On tomorrow's program, We've got uh, part four of our education series. Um, we've got uh, our good friends from PricewaterhouseCoopers will be in. Dr. Cal Stiller will be talking with us about some of the exciting medical research that's going on in our own community here. And we've got Treasures in the Attic with Tiffany and Paul from Gardner Auctions. So join us. It's going to be an action-packed show for Marion and Bob and Ryan and Kathleen. It's Jim saying take care of each other. Mind how you go, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.